the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Rob Black and your money. And now, here's Rob Black. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. Talking all things financial, December 15th, 2010. Clearly the big, 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 big story is the Senate did pass that $858 billion tax cut compromise measure. It's going to add to our deficit. That's the negative. On the positive, it's going to give everyone a little bit of something as far as tax cuts go and or tax advantages or tax benefits. So the Senate passed the $858 billion tax cut plan given bipartisan endorsement to an agreement crafted by President Barack Obama and Republicans that extends Bush era's reductions for all income levels. The 81 to 19 vote sends the bill to the House, where Democratic leaders are likely to bring it to the floor tomorrow. House Democrats plan a separate vote on limiting estate tax breaks in the bill. So there is some, some potential mess here. Let's go over the pot, or let's go over what is in it, and then let's go over a couple other ideas that might happen. The bill extends through 2012 all the tax out tax cuts on income, capital gains, and dividends that were enacted in 2001-2003. It also extends expanded unemployment insurance benefits through 2011. It cuts payroll taxes by 2% through 2011. And lets businesses write off up to 100% of capital investments between September 9, 2010 and December 31, 2011. The legislation extends dozens of expired and expiring tax breaks, including research and development tax credit, a college tuition tax credit, it sets a $5 million per person exemption from the estate tax and a 35% top rate through 2012, down from the $1 million exemption and 55% top rate that would take effect if no laws were passed. So that's the gist of it. Now, on the side that it may not play out that quite way, if the tax cuts do expire, if this Congress can't get it done, payroll withholdings would increase in January, taking more money out of workers' paychecks. And causing administration challenges for the IRS, Internal Revenue Service. The 112th Congress would then take up the tax issue. The outcome would be controlled by a Republican-led House and a Senate um, with 47 Republicans up from 42 now. Senate Democrats who voted in large numbers to cut off debate on December 13th said they agreed to move forward with the bill to extend tax cuts for high-income taxpayers. Fact is, the bill does help the middle class, according to Barbara Boxer, California Democrat. Um, Senate Republicans, who prefer a permanent extension of all existing tax rates, said they were willing to negotiate with Obama even if they didn't get everything they wanted. So that's the basic bottom line of this story. So yesterday, the market got through its Fed Open Market Committee meeting and what they decided to do and not do. And the directive was pretty much so recycled. So the 10-year Treasury has shot up, which is damn interesting, to 3.5% almost. And that spike is, is it a fear trade of inflation? 
Is it a fear trade of rising deficit? Is it a fear of holding a good investment too long? So as that 10-year treasury goes higher, the, the desire to buy stocks should go lower. So the 10-year note shot up in the wake of the meeting, nearly scraping 3.5%, which was kind of ironic yesterday. I mean, the fact that it chose that time to do it was eye-catching, to say the least. So the spike was an attention-grabbing affair and a move that's wide open for interpretation. No one really has a good opinion of it other than to say the stock market held its ground reasonably well. So the Fed chairman really wants to bring down unemployment. He's aiming to hold down long-term rates with bond purchases, trying to stimulate the economy. Today we saw the Consumer Price Index, uh, which is one of the things Ben Bernanke watches. It was lame. It was tame. There was nothing going on, which is good. Over the last 12 months, the total CPI is up 1.1%, but core CPI is up just eight-tenths of a percent, which is nominal. The Empire report that came out on manufacturing in the New York region showed a little reversal of fortune last November or a month ago. It was on the weaker side. Today, it was on the stronger side. San Diego's tough love pension proposal. I like this story. Mayor Jerry Sanders, he wants his new employees to take a 401k versus a promised pension. And basically, last time there was a big vote, they tried to figure out how do we cut our budget. And what they did was they said, let's, let's raise taxes one half, of one, per, one half of one penny on sales tax. And basically, the people said no. So now, at this point in time, he wants you know people to sign up for, if you're going to work for the government... <laughs> In San Diego, then you don't get the pension for life. You get a 401k. So it's interesting. Even after closing a $179 million deficit this year, San Diego still faces a $72 million budget gap for the fiscal year beginning July 1. And they have a $2.1 billion unfunded pension liability. So the city's trimmed costs by limiting 1,400 of its 1,100 employee positions. They've closed some public restrooms at the beach. They've ended police horse patrols in the scenic Balboa Park. Uh, They've got a proposal to try to save the city some money out there. But if you've never been to Balboa Park, stunning, stunning. So some people are obviously criticizing the mayor for excluding police and firefighters uh, from the 401k-like plans on the grounds that it'll hurt recruitment. Uh, after 26 years as a police officer, you know you collect ninety thousand dollars of a city pension on top of the you know he will collect ninety thousand dollars as a uh, pension, but he'll also collect ninety four thousand for his mayoral salary. So it's it's crazy, you know. It's we see the budget problems. I think we do. So uh, net foreign buys of U.S. assets twenty seven point six billion in October. I throw this up because last year in October, $77 billion, and a lot of people get caught in a wad and, and they get all crazy and they go, oh, China owns the United States. And, you know, on the flip side, what I want you to know is that, yeah, I guess China does own the United States. But on the flip side is that if you're going to create debt as a person or as a country, the best thing to do is to keep the cost down as much as possible. And issuing debt at one two percent is a hell of a lot better than issuing debt at six seven eight percent. 
So I throw that out there. I also bring up this net foreign buys as a way of saying, you know, a year ago, people were like, oh, China owns America. And World War III will be China selling their debt in America and raising money uh, when they get paid back, of which the United States would freeze because we don't have the ability to honor our debts in cash. Damn interesting, right? That was a year ago, and it was a 60-minute story. And I don't know. I'm just trying to get out there that you know people are all crazy. Region Financial and Bank, Bank Atlantic Bank Corp both moved higher today. Ultimately, South Florida Business Journal reported that PNC Financial Services is considering companies as acquisition targets. They're looking to buy branches in Florida. Um, so PNC Financial looking to expand, and where would they go? They want Florida, so they pick up uh, potentially regions financial ticker symbol RF and Bank Atlantic BBX. So interesting thought, right? And you can see how some companies try to grow from uh, – get their pie a little bit bigger. Freeman Billings Ramsey is looking at 2011, and it gave a little bit of a research report today saying a little bit cautious. Now, we've heard a lot of analysts come out and say that things look great in the first half of 2011. Even 2011, we've seen some analysts say 15 to 25% returns to the S&P 500. And what Friedman Billings Ramsey is a little bit cautious on is that it was so incredibly easy in the first half of this year because the comparisons were so low the previous year. Now, 2009 comparisons were low compared to 2010 expectations, but 2011 expectations are a little bit higher, and the, the results from 2010 are much higher. So it's a tougher hurdle, so to speak, to jump over. Let's talk a little bit about Visa. Um, an analyst today talked about some of the investor meetings that he had with management, saying that he's confident Visa's going to navigate the regulatory environment, the Dick Durbin Act. Visa appears to have been very limited as far as clarity in the upcoming Fed disclosures. The exclusivity provisions provide the greatest uncertainty but appear highly manageable if limited to just a pen debit. So management's encouraged about recent volume trends and appears highly confident in its 2011 outlook. The, um, it appears that there's an expectation of a 40 to 60% reduction in debit interchange fees that issuers receive. A reasonable expectation – and I'd anticipate that it'll be difficult to you know, immediately quantify the exact amount of the cut from the draft of the rule, since no one really expects the Fed to stipulate an exact percentage, but rather to implement a more flexible approach like a formula with various factors or scenarios. So a lot of people are just guessing how and assuming what the numbers are going to actually look like. So the draft rule is likely to only require competition on the card, which would have a bigger impact pen transactions and only two debit signature networks that are out there, Visa and MasterCard. So Apple saw their price target raised to 438 today. Google saw their price target raised to $700 a day. Best Buy had an awful quarter, awful quarter, and a lot of analysts are coming out and downgrading it. I think what's interesting about Best Buy is if we were to look at it, think about it, argue it, we would probably say um, – We once thought that competition was going to hurt – well, we once thought that when Circuit City went down that that was going to be it for Best Buy, that the, the, everything was theirs for the taking. Now, the hot items this year, the Kindle, the iPad, the iPhone, you can buy at Walmart, Target, and Amazon.com. So it's interesting that we thought Best Buy was going to have it all to themselves 
didn't turn out that way in any way, shape, and or form. So more consumers are going elsewhere. Um, I don't own Best Buy. I don't care to own Best Buy. I just thought it was a damn interesting business story for you. So in what's going to be one of the more interesting stories going forward on Research in Motion, Research in Motion has surged 38% since August on prospects for its new tablet device. I don't get it. I think a clash of the iPads coming up that they're not going to win. It may be too big of a jump. Products late to the market. Sales estimates for the BlackBerry Playbook vary from 1 million units next fiscal year to 8 million as analysts try to predict demand for a computer that won't emerge until the first quarter and will also face other rivals besides Apple. It'll be a modest seller and the iPad will likely do 10 times as much business. I just don't get it. I think Research in Motion is going to sell maybe, maybe a million playbooks in the year. And that's not going to be enough. So the tablet's going to show whether Research in Motion can find growth beyond the handset. There's two areas of computing that's really working, two areas that aren't, desktops and laptops. That what are working are notebook, or netbooks, uh, slates, and or phones. So tablets. So the tablet's going to show whether Research in Motion can compete. So the playbook's going to sell. Uh, obviously, I should mention as well that uh, Google's Chrome operating system and Android are also kind of big plays in all of this. So Research in Motion's out of Ontario, Canada, and they're racing to introduce the tablet for its main audience busy working people. I just, I don't know. I know the iPad's dominance in the tablet computer market's going to change, you know, over time, but to me, investor expectations seem a little bit too high for this BlackBerry product, so I'd be cautious. And again, maybe I just don't like the company. Maybe I'm just nasty and mean about it. So, um, I don't know. <laughs> on occasion I just gotta say I don't know Google let's talk a little Chrome while we're at it they hope corporate partners are gonna refine their Chrome operating system and try to you know get some marketable products going Google's expected a warm welcome for their Chrome operating system and, and new CR48 laptops so it's currently giving away some of these laptops to select beta testers the hardware is a big story here as far as Google, because again, they're not a hardware company, are there? The boot up's extremely fast. The logon process is smooth and speedy. So long as one has a Google Mail account, Google app IDs don't work. The screen is great, but the graphic capabilities are pretty limited. There's a single USB port and flash memory card slot. Having lived with the old MacBook Air with a single USB port, uh, most people don't have a problem with this. You know, the trackpad's awful. So the hardware is just not right yet. So it's going to be interesting to see. Um, will people use the CR48 as their primary computer? It would be tough to make you know Chrome operating system primary computing experience because we all have a lifelong habit of you know a much bigger, richer, deeper operating system. So the, the device is incredibly underpowered, but they're trying to do everything online 
with Google Docs, Gmail, and other cloud services. So the YouTube experience on it was marginal at best. Netflix didn't work. So this particular device is not going to be sold in the market. It's just simply to test as much as they can. So Google's growth has clearly coincided with the shift to the web. And Google is confident it's been a believer in network computing from its inception since 2004. More and more, their focus has been devoted to the browser and what you can do inside of it, the so-called Web 2.0 angle and the cloud computing angle. So the enterprise you know, consumers are going to find Chrome very, very limiting comparatively. So I think it's going to take some time. So Chrome operating system ultimately is going to be ideally suited for business environments that need lots of low-cost computers designed to do certain specific tasks cheaply. So it's not going to be right for most businesses, and it's going to take a good while for it to, to catch on or, or pull off the trick, so to speak. So I want to talk about one more company, if possible, a company called Intergis. It's a small company. It's, let's talk about what they do. Their symbol is ENTG, and you can look this one up online. Do a little following of it yourself. Stocks had a big run recently, so don't go chasing it. They make products that are integral to making semiconductors and computer disk drives. They make more than 15,000 products used to transport and protect semiconductor and disk drive materials. Semiconductor products include wafer, wafer carriers, and storage boxes and chip trays, as well as chemical delivery products such as pipes, fittings, and valves. Its disk drives offering includes shippers, stamper cases, and transport trays. So they're big customers include ASM Lithography, MEMC, MEMCO, SUMCO, Taiwan Semiconductor. So they're a play on the semiconductor process before semiconductors get processed and made. I think that's the easiest way of saying that, darn it. Uh, Taking a look at the financials on this company, it's, it's a small company. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And the numbers are going backwards, $626 million to $554 to $398 million. Part of the global recession for sure but also just awful numbers. So is it a turnaround? That's the big question. With this company, what you're talking about is its products include liquid gas, filters, purifiers. Their semiconductors are used in applications like flat panel displays, solar cells, gas lasers, storage devices, fiber optic cables, fuel cells. Some of their you know, largest customers, Samsung, Taiwan, Semi, Memco, Siltronic, Taiwan, manufacturing they're offering a variety of products including you know more than 15,000 so it's really a play on a cycle so this old cycle ended badly for them can they start a new cycle examples of some of their products include um, well I've hit that pretty hard stocks been rallying since the company reported a strong strong October 26th third quarter so the result was just a penny above expectations, but it was well above the loss last year. So 18 cents this year, loss of two cents last year. So um, revenue rose 61% year over year and 6% sequentially to $178 million. It's a turnaround story. So I don't know enough about it to really throw down money on it. The company used the downturn to change its cost structure. That included closing its largest U.S. operation. They moved some of their operations as well during the downturn. Um, and they moved that to Asia, which is where the semiconductor manufacturers tend to make semiconductors. The company also significantly reduced permanent headcount. They cut hundreds of jobs. 
So that improved margins. They're clearly benefited from the overall recovery in the semiconductor market. Now, again, it is a play on the cycle. It is small. It is uh, going from awful numbers to decent numbers. Besides the cyclical recovery, they're also you know made gaining market share uh, part of their big story. Semiconductor segment accounted for seventy four percent of revenue in the third quarter. They're hoping to it smooth out the boom and bust cycles. You know, with areas such as LEDs, lithium ion batteries, and electric vehicles, solar and aerospace applications. This is a small company. It's got a lot of upside if it continues doing what it's been doing. But it just came up on a screen, and in no way, shape, or form do I want you to go out and buy it. I just wanted to say it came up on a screen, and I'm sharing it with you. Take care. Have a good day. I will talk to you soon.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.